0: Hello and welcome to the podcast of tech.eu. I am your host, Andrew Degler. In today's show, we will talk about some of the most interesting funding rounds of the week, as well as a couple of M&A deals and some policy news, as usual. Later on, I will also play for you an interview that was recorded by Robin Wouters with Luke Lang, the co-founder and CMO at Crowdcube. The topics included the fintech revolution, Crowdcube's merger with Cedars, and also why founders come in. On the platform, should actually listen to the advice that they are given by Luke's colleagues. But first, the news. German HR platform Personio has landed 125 million US dollars at a valuation of 1.7 billion US dollars. The company which focuses on the HR needs of small and medium businesses says that it was able to double its revenues in 2020 and now it also plans to continue its international expansion. Uh, in particular, this includes further coverage in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, where the company is already present, while also doubling down in market. Markets that the business entered last year, such as Spain, the UK, Ireland, the Nordics, and the Benelux. Also, 2021, we'll see some new markets coming up, and those include France and Italy. Uh, the Series D for Personia was led by existing investor Index Ventures with participation from the rest of all the previous backers of the company, and those are Axel, Lightspeed Venture Partners, Northzone, Global Founders Capital, and Picus. The only reported newcomer uh, in this round is Meritech, which is a US firm known, among other things, for being the first outside investor in Salesforce. Coming up next, Turkish on demand delivery startup Getir has raised 128 million US dollars at a valuation of some 850 million US dollars, according to a report by Webratzi. Getir, uh, which actually means bring in Turkish, was founded in 2015 and it offers on demand ultra fast delivery service for grocery items. Namely, it promises to deliver your order within 10 minutes on average. In addition to that, the company also offers a courier service for restaurant and food delivery companies. And another big round from London, a payment startup PPRO, which is spelled in all caps, has raised 180 million US dollars at a valuation north of 1 billion US dollars. PPRO pro has developed a payment platform that allows marketplaces, payment providers, and other e-commerce outlets to easily take and make localized payments. And when we talk about localized payments, it doesn't only mean local currencies, but also all sorts of payment systems that are preferred by customers in different geographies, the list of companies that are using the services of PPRO includes some really big players, uh, the likes of PayPal and Citi and Mastercard payment gateway services, and Molly and WorldPay. Next up, Spanish-born international tech school IronHack has secured 20 million US dollars in a Series B funding round. This one was led by Lumos Capital with participation from Endeavor's Catalyst Fund, as well as prior backers such as BrightEye and Creas. Ironhack has campuses in nine cities across the U.S., Europe, and Latin America. The startup currently offers what it calls intensive boot camp and immersive courses in web development, UX and UI design, data analytics, and cybersecurity, among others. Since 2013, Ironhack says that it has graduated more than 8,000 students worldwide and helped hundreds of companies to hire top talent. That includes the likes of Visa, Capgemini, Siemens, and Santander. Next up, a couple of M&A stories as I promised at the beginning. First, Norwegian web browser maker Opera has paid 10 million US dollars to acquire yo games uh, that's based in Dundee, Scotland. The Scottish company is known by its game engine called Game Maker Studio 2, which appears to be a popular solution among people who want to create 2D games but have little to no coding skills. So to me, it’s not entirely clear still what exactly Opera wants to do with Yo-yo games, However, together with the acquisition, the company also announced that it has launched a new division, and that is called Opera Gaming. The company told VentureBeat that Opera Gaming, I quote, will focus on expanding Opera's capabilities and monetization opportunities in the gaming, the quote ends. And the most prominent gaming-related effort Opera has made so far is its specialized browser Opera GX that caters for the needs of gamers. I didn't know about this one before reading the news today, but I checked it out, it's is really interesting. It has integrations with services like Twitch and Discord and also it offers the possibility to limit RAM or network usage of the browser and also allows to quickly kill the tabs that eat up too much resources. And as someone who does tend to play uh, games once in a while uh, with a browser open at the same time, I do uh, very much see why uh, these sort of uh, extensions uh, make a lot of sense. Now, another acquisition story comes from the Netherlands, and again, I'm always very happy to talk about local successes here. This time it's 3D Hubs, which was acquired by the US-based Proto Labs for 280 million US dollars. The deal consists of 130 million dollars in cash and 150 million in stock. An additional $50 million is also payable subject to performance-based targets over two years after close, split evenly in cash and stock. So 3D Hubs is an online platform that provides on-demand access to a network of approximately 240 manufacturing partners around the world. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, back in the day when uh, 3D Hubs was a younger company, uh, it initially only uh, worked with 3D printing. So you could uh, come on the platform and you could find someone with a 3D printer and you can order something 3D printed. But now you can also quickly get quotes, not just for 3D printing, but also CNC machining, sheet metal fabrication, and also even injection molding. And to wrap things up, let us take a look at the policy and regulation stories from this week. On Wednesday, the European Commission fined the US-based Valve, which owns the gaming platform Steam, if you don't know. Uh, It it, it fined 1.6 million euros for breaching EU antitrust rules, namely for blocking users from outside certain territories from activating certain license keys, aka geo-blocking. And together with Valve, uh, it also fined five game publishers and namely Bandai Namco, Capcom, Focus Home, Koch Media, and Zenimax for a total of 6 million euros. So let me quote the statement. The quote begins. The geo-blocking practices concerned around 100 PC video games of different genres, including sports, simulation, and action games. They prevented consumers from activating and playing PC video games sold by the publisher distributors, either on physical media such as DVDs or through downloads. This business practices Therefore, denied European customers the benefits of the EU's digital single market to shop around between member states to find the most suitable offer. The Commission has concluded that the illegal practices of Valve and the five publishers partitioned the EEA market in violation of EU antitrust rules. The quote end. Moving forward, the European Commission also appears to have more questions for Google. So all the fines it has slapped the company for were not enough, apparently. So according to a report by Politico.eu, Brussels is running two preliminary probes into Google. The first one focuses on how the company collects and uses data, and the other is all about how Google behaves on the advertising market. Reflecting on the size of the investigative team, uh, which is 11 people, according to some papers seen by Politico, uh, the sources of the publication said that it's very likely that the commission will end up opening formal probes after these preliminary investigations are over. So that's something to look forward to hopefully this year. And it is time for today's interview. Welcome the founding editor of Tech.EU, Robin Wouters, in conversation with Luke Lang, the co-founder and CMO at Crowdcube.
1: Hey, this is Robin Wouters from Tech.EU and I'm joined here virtually, of course, as always, uh, by Luke
2: Lang, he is the CMO and co-founder of Crowdcube. What is Crowdcube, Luke? Great to be here, Robin. Um, Crowdcube is the world's first and largest equity crowdfunding platform. So um, myself and Darren Westlake um, founded the company or launched the company back in 2011. So we're coming up to our 10th anniversary. And it was really born out of a passion for entrepreneurship and a, and a, and a view that entrepreneurship is a, is a force for good and can make dramatic changes to the world we live in. And we also wanted to democratize investment as well. Before Crowdcube, investing in early stage startups was really the preserve of the wealthy and the well-connected. And we felt that that was fundamentally um, unfair and, and wrong, and we wanted to change that. So we opened it up so ordinary, everyday folk like you and I could back the businesses that we really, really believe in.
1: Uh, Well, thanks for joining the show. Uh, I saw in your Twitter bio that you were meddling with crowdfunding stuff even before you started the company. So since 2009. Now, if I think back to 2009, I think I was writing for TechCrunch at the time. I don't think crowdfunding was a term yet that was being used, but correct me if I'm wrong.
2: I I think um, so that meddling started. That was when Darren and I were um, pre-launch, but we were still thinking about and Um, and and working on the idea and the model behind Crowdcube and and, and you're you're right you know crowdfunding in its in its earliest form actually started in the um, music industry where bands and artists tried to use it to um, raise money to to fuel their next their next record or their next album. I think, you know, towards the end of that decade, certainly 2010, you, you started to see the rise of Kickstarter um, and Indiegogo. So there was certainly, the path was starting to be laid from a, from a reward-based crowdfunding perspective, which gave Darren and I a huge amount of optimism and, and hope for the future and for the idea behind Crowdcube, because we saw crowdcube and the idea that you get equity instead of a reward instead of a teacher or an early download or a, or a beta product we saw equity as that that natural evolution that na- next big step that you know people should be owning a slice of the, the company that they that they invest in and they back and be benefiting from when those companies go on to become unicorns and you know we're delighted that we've had a, um, a handful of unicorns that have raised on the platform um, over the years that the challenger banks monzo and revolut and and, and also the craft brewer um brew dog
1: Yeah, great. Uh, Well, fun fact, you mentioned Kickstarter and I mentioned that I was working for TechCrunch at the time. I actually covered the launch of Kickstarter on TechCrunch back in the day. And I remember not being all too impressed with the model. (laughs) I I could never, like, sort of like Airbnb, like the first time you say, like, you're going to let strangers stay in your house. It sounds kind of weird when you say we're going to let anyone basically invest in companies and they'll get equity in return. It sounded a bit nuts to me at the time i remember um but but it was also because there was no i'm guessing there was no regulatory environment that sort of welcomed that and then and and opened the the op- opportunities for companies like yours to to come to fruition it was more sort of the companies came and then the regulation came if i remember correctly
2: I, th- I think the the point is is that um fundraising for, for from an entrepreneur's perspective back in you know from from the turn of the millennium and, and up until two thousand and ten was really really challenging right post economic crash particularly in two thousand and seven two thousand and eight um not just here in the u k but around Europe and around the rest of the world um it was harder than ever to raise um, startup early stage funding and we saw that as a fundamentally was yeah, you know hindering the, the growth and the potential that entrepreneurs were able to 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 to, to make to to the economy and to society uh, at large um, and we wanted to be able to, to to change that you know at that time you know angel investing was yeah, their their finances have been hit hard from the economic crash. VC finance was was in a bit of a bit of a dip as well, and grant funding for startups had had been absolutely crushed by certainly the UK government. By I suspect that that was mirrored across the world. So so there was a really a dearth of funding back then, um, and and Crowd you know, CrowdCube stepped in and and really came to the rescue of a lot of. Um, startup early stage businesses back then and since then you know it has gone from strength to strength you know this year is looking like well despite covid we funded more businesses um, and they've raised more money from more investors than any other year in crowdcube's history which when you give the given the context of what happened last year and the challenges that entrepreneurs faced that is truly remarkable and and that is testament to the grit tenacity determination passion and ambition of those of those entrepreneurs you know whether they be in the UK or in Europe where we've seen huge huge growth And, and curiously as well some of our most popular raises in terms of the number of people that are backing them have happened last year. I think um, four out of the top five raises, uh, most popular raises happened last year. We had the likes of you know what? Three words, which is a geolocation based on 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 three simple simple words. You know, they raised seven million from you know um, ten thousand investors. Moneybox, which is a an icer investor, challenging um, and and democratizing how people can save and invest money. They raised seven million from eighteen thousand investors, I believe, and and the likes of Free Trade and um, Curve as well, the the f- fintech businesses here in the UK and Mintos. Based in Latvia, they raised 6-7 you know, million euros as well. It's hugely popular. campaign. So what we're seeing is during these difficult times, I think people are becoming a lot more mindful about themselves, about the environment, about the society, about where they invest their money, what businesses that they buy from. So people are becoming a lot more conscious in in how they consume and what they buy, but also they're becoming more conscious in where and how they invest. And they like to see an impact for sure. And I'm proud to say that the you know, the vast majority of businesses that we work with are having some impact without without a doubt.
1: Yeah. Great. Well, that paints a really good picture of the present and I think also the future for Crowdcube. Uh, but th- let's maybe go back to the, the past when, in the early days of Crowdcube when you started. What, what are some of the, the major hurdles that you had to overcome
2: to get to the point where you are today? <laughs> I mean, there were some, some very, very basic things from an entrepreneur point of view. Yeah, you know, the notion of putting your idea, your business plan, your financials on a public in, in the public domain on a website where anyone, including your competitors, could could look at them and download them yeah that was that was tricky without without a doubt that took us a number of years to really convince entrepreneurs that it's yeah you know, ideas are are important but it's it's mostly down to execution and you know your business better than anyone um, and you need to have that trust and confidence and to some degree arrogance that you're going to be able to execute your idea better than anyone else so that was definitely a challenge um equally you know you're convincing people to back and invest in you know, high risk startup early stage businesses yeah you know, that it's not always the obvious place where you want to be making your investment so so there's an education around you know, investments more broadly and your your wider portfolio that maybe includes stocks and shares, pension, you know your your, your property and how crowdfunding crowdcube and and uh, early stage equity can actually be the the more exciting end of your investment scale, the ones where you can really immerse yourself in the business and understand um, and feel part of that company's journey. You kind of go on that journey with the entrepreneur and um, and, and the rest of the team. Um so, so that was a, a a major major obstacle. And I think we saw a pivotal moment where we really realized that actually the communities that are already you know customers of these businesses and brands is where it all starts with a crowdfunding campaign and and done well you can engage your community and your customer base in a really profound way and we've really unpa- unpacked that at crowdcube in, in in the last few years where certainly in the early days businesses were coming to us primarily it was all about raising capital raising funding raising money so that they could then you know invest in their product their team their idea you know in, in recent years we've really un understood the softer benefits, the, the more intangible benefits of a crowdfunding raise in terms of engaging your community, your customers, turning them into shareholders, what that can mean for your brand, what that can mean for your product and your bottom line in terms of engagement, advocacy, retention loyalty and yeah there's lots of evidence from the likes of monzo and from free trade and curve and and and, and the others where we see dramatic increases in in engagement levels in usage of of products in um, yeah, revenue from those um, users So lifetime value goes up and crucially they're more likely to spread the word and tell their friends as well you know sometimes three four five hundred percent more likely to tell their friends. which from a from a business from a, an early stage businesses that's trying to leap across that that chasm and go from a you know very early stage innovator to to, to a you know, mass adoption you're getting those brand advocates that really spread the word for you can be extremely extremely powerful um, so we've really started to unpick those those benefits in recent times. But I, I should say as well, yeah, regulation was a challenge early on, and crowdfunding in the UK didn't carve out its own bespoke regulations dedicated in, to, to crowdfunding until 2014. And I think that was a pivotal moment in the UK where the broader funding landscape accepted crowdfunding as a, as a, as a genuine source of, of finance, yeah we got investment from Boulderton capital the same year which helped to to validate what we were doing and the mission that we were on and it helped to inspire trust in entrepreneurs and investors as well and and i think we've we've never really looked back since then and I, and i think actually the changes that are happening um, across the eu to to, reg, to their regulatory environment to to bring it more in line with what we have here in the uk i think is a big step forward because i think that the uk has certainly had the advantage from a regulatory point of view over the last decade and i'm truly excited about the opportunity that harmonizing those regulations has in the uk that will that will mean that yeah, raising with CrowdCube from from a European perspective just gets easier and easier and easier, and yeah, hopefully we can help more and more European entrepreneurs raise raise capital on the on the platform.
1: That was actually going to be my next question. So that's, that's there you go. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but in October 2020, uh, the uh, the European Commission announced uh, new rules for crowdfunding, um, which, as you say, um, is. is you know, meant to harmonise uh, these rules across uh, across the board in the region. Can you maybe walk us through the or, or summarise like the main benefits of the of the new rules for um,
2: CrowdCube and others? I think it's it's a harmonisation. Yeah, the rules up until now have been pretty fragmented right across Europe. So as you say, the the European Parliament approved that cross border crowdfunding rules across Europe, and, and although they're not going to apply until this year, I think. I think what they do is make sure that, um, similar to what we have in the UK, to ensure that people will understand the risks of early stage in, investing and understand how you present in, an opportunity and to some degree the due diligence that's required on those pieces. So, so it's, a, it's a key p- piece of that that jigsaw that, that slots t- t- together. And I, I think they've, they've used the template of what we've had. To, you know, they've looked to the UK and the success that we've had in the UK yeah, and realise that you're tightening up or clarifying the rules, particularly around financial promotions and how you promote and how you present investment opportunities, um, and how you talk about the the risks of investing as well. Which which is really really important. You know, you want people to go into this into investing on Crowdcube with their eyes wide open. Yeah, investing in, in unlisted businesses, yeah, limited limited companies here in the UK and, 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 and across the world, is high risk without doubt and, um, and it's long-term. But it, it can also be highly lucrative as, as well. So yeah, there are the opportunity, if you build a portfolio in the right way, to have some 20, 30 Xs like yeah, the likes of Revolut, you know, Investors in an early crowdfunding campaign with us have had, you know, the opportunity to have a, a 20x return, and we've had we've had similar from other businesses. In interestingly, actually, just last year we've seen a bit of a surge of exits on on, on CrowdCube with you know, PodPoint, which was creating the next infrastructure for um, um, electric vehicles. They were acquired by EDF. Energy, you know, giving investors 2, 3x return. Mindful Chef, we're in the right place at the right time when COVID struck. You know, they were s- sending out uh, veg boxes to to people at, at home. You know, they were recently bought by Nestle. Again, that was delivering a really, really strong return for investors um, alongside the likes of, of Revolut where they were getting a 20, 30x return from a secondary. So, so that, that's really encouraging. But like we've we've seen growth... You know, despite the regulatory challenges in, in 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 Europe, we've seen growth year on year from businesses raising, and and thankfully, you know, really encouraging to see that the European businesses send, tend to are, are are following in the footsteps of the UK businesses in terms of we're attracting later stage businesses that are often venture capital backed anyway, and they are raising much larger sums of money. You know, Cowboy was a a great example of of that the the electric bike business based out of belgium raised four million um, euros we've had b next and id finance from spain the fintech players which have both raised you know four five million euros and, and obviously mintos that we spoke about earlier which was close to seven million euros so so they're yeah they're definitely european companies are are seeing what we've what we've done in the uk and it's starting to attract those later stage businesses which is which is really encouraging.
1: Yeah, definitely good to see. It will be interesting to see how the new rules actually uh, boost uh, the ecosystem for everyone. Um, and, and of course, in large part, thanks to the work of the European Crowdfunding Network, I would say, uh, which is a tremendous job. In, yeah, in absolutely. The um, and then uh, maybe a couple of things that you mentioned that I want to touch upon. So you, you single out fintech as some of the fintech companies, at least, that have raised large amounts. On CrowdCube and other platforms, is fintech a sector that's particularly that particularly lends itself for, for that kind of thing, or, or is it across the board? Is there any sector or type of or size of business that lends itself uh, well for, that, for this kind of thing? So,
2: so, fintechs our biggest sector by amount raised and number of investors, people that have backed them. I think it lends um, itself to crowdfunding in a, in a number of ways. I think following the financial crisis of 2007 2008 you yeah, know that gave rise to a fintech rev- rev- revolution um which started with alternative finance with the likes of crowdcube and um and funding circle and and, and the like here in the uk but has you yeah, know has moved on a pace to um you yeah, know to to touch all areas of financial services and i think that that for me was born out of um you yeah, know these businesses started out because there was a deep mistrust of traditional financial services there was a The dislike of the banking sector so there was a lot of animosity against traditional players in that market and when these bright entrepreneurs with their you know new ideas and new thinking and pushing at the edges and disrupt disrupting the status quo people liked what they saw and these businesses which are hugely ambitious attracted um, a huge following from people that were signing up to their beta services, uh, which, you know, have obviously gone on to become a huge success. And and many of them, you look at the likes of Monzo and Revolut and Free Trade and Curve have got hundreds, um, if not millions of of customers now. So, and, and there was a natural evolution as well as these businesses sought to distance themselves from traditional financial services, be different, create brands that people really loved and liked. That crowdfunding or, 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 you know, raising with with CrowdCube, turning their customers, their community into shareholders, became a, a a powerful symbol of how they were different, and that coupled with their natural scale and their big customer bases and their high energy and their ambitious visions um, was a was a perfect perfect recipe for success. But I I should say that food and drink, which is a sector. That has traditionally been very, very underserved by traditional finance, um, whether it be yeah, Angel or VC, has always been a very, very strong sector for us, particularly in the UK. We love our, yeah, despite the um Yeah, despite what people think and and our stereotypes british british people are um, lovers of food and and drink and and yeah we love watching food and drink we love cooking we love reading about it and we also love investing in in businesses and brands that 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 we um that we support and we've seen loads of innovation there as well in from it from the nutrition and veganism and things things like that and the rise of craft brewery and distilleries as well yeah in, in the last yeah, twelve twelve months throughout COVID, we've seen a real surge in um, health and wellbeing brand, uh, businesses raising with us, and, and, and yeah, you know, health tech as well has, has led from from the from the front on that as well. Uh, and I'm delighted to see that kind of. Um, yeah, improving education and edtech um is is also um an area that's that's growing for us not to say as well that you know renewables and you know businesses that have an impact and that are fighting climate change as well are also uh, are also on the rise so so fintech is that de- definitely certainly steals a lot of the the headlines because they tend to raise you know the 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 big large amounts um, and they have the big customer bases to to, to support that. Um, and our customer and our membership as well is you know, very, very keen to back and support fintech businesses. But you know, we, we did some research last year and we saw and we, and we found that you know, last year, now more than ever, 90% of our businesses now more than ever, it's important to back and support businesses that they believe in, that have a purpose, that are trying to make a difference to the world. So, like I said right at the beginning, yeah, these, these conscious consumers are evolving, are changing into conscious investors, and they're applying their morals and their values from from how they're um spending their money and where they spend their money on in the in the in the products and services that they buy is trans is transferring to their investment strategies.
1: Yeah. Maybe you can answer this question. That I've had for a long time. When people make investments on CrowdCube and other equity crowdfunding platforms, do they typically do it out of a financially driven, you know, I want to return on this investment? Is it to support the business? Is it somewhere in between? Uh, because speaking of making headlines, you talked about some of the exits that we've seen, but that's always been sort of the, the biggest criticism of equity crowdfunding that the exits have, at at, at least like if you look at, at the decades, um, the past decade have been very few and far between, right? There, there haven't been a lot. There have been some, some big ones and some really, uh, once I have made the news. But there's also a long tail of investments that sort of never never generate a return for these investors. But I'm yeah. wondering like how where, where do people come in usually?
2: Well, any research that we've ever done in the past, you know, financial returns is always at the 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 top of people's minds. You know, they're investing in an idea that they believe in, and there's a market opportunity there, and they definitely believe that the team is are the right people to to be executing that that campaign. So don't get me wrong; I don't think that this isn't a, a philanthropic, you know, selfless, you know, donation to a company. People are without a doubt doing it because they believe, anticipate, want to see, believe that, 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 that this company can can expand, grow, scale. Um, fulfill their ambitions and deliver a a, a financial return. Um, I think that is that is definitely dovetailed with a a more emotive rationale and reason for reason for investing and you yeah, know we're certainly seeing in traditional investment seeing a massive growth in esg kind of that environmental social and governance in investing. Which is which is set to rise to fifty percent of all capital by twenty twenty five. There's a massive transfer um, of wealth from baby boomer boomers or from millennials that are going to inherit yeah, billions from from baby baby boomers. And those millennials tend to have that more conscious. You know, they they tend to be um, uh, more drawn to ethical you know, impact business businesses with a with a social and environmental impact. Yeah, there there have been, you know, over fifty million has been returned or investors, you know, thirty six thousand investors have had the opportunity to to realise over fifty million pounds worth of investment through through CrowdCube. So it's by any means not a small amount. As I said, we're starting to see um a real um uptick in those exits as well with the likes of mindful chef Podpoint from last year alone, um not to mention um feeder and a few and a few others in there. So that's 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 definitely um, encouraging. On, on the flip side, you know, I've talked about the risks of investing. You know, it's it's an inevitable fact that some of these businesses aren't gonna gonna work out. I think what we've seen so far collectively over, over all of the years combined, around 15% of businesses, you know, where it hasn't hasn't worked out, which is disappointing, it's, de- it's devastating, you know, those, you know, entrepreneurs have thrown their all their energies into into making those businesses work, but sometimes it doesn't but you you know you look at that and some some stats certainly here here in the UK the office of national statistics suggests that 50% of all startups fail so you know you depending on how you're looking at it yeah maybe some of these businesses are bucking bucking the trend there and we're doing all everything we can to to help and support these businesses as well so you know our role at crowdcube doesn't just end with the fundraise yeah we've our mission, our purpose in life is to fuel the next generation of businesses so they can go on and leave their mark on the world. The term fuel is very deliberate. It's not fund. And yeah, we've got a team of people that help and support the businesses post funding to introduce them to our broad partnership of our network of partners that include the likes of Slack and Amazon and, and, um, and Stripe. Sorry. To help their businesses grow, thrive, and 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 scale, so and help them support support them for um, follow-on rounds of investment, and yeah, when there's certain you know corporate governments that 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 needs to happen, we're on hand to help and support them. Yeah, you
1: you mentioned quite correctly that you as a platform, you have a responsibility to warn investors of the risk uh, if they get involved in in, in investing in equity. Um, but but I'm left wondering: well, What are some of the education that you need to do to the businesses that are actually you know wanting to raise on your platform? What are some of the, the misconceptions or misunderstandings or, or or mistakes that companies make when they when they do this kind of thing?
2: Well, in terms of of just in a, running an effective campaign, you mean, or just more, yeah. more broadly about having lots of share, shareholders, I like guess. No,
1: no, no, specifically uh, with regards to starting a crowdfunding
2: campaign. So I I, I guess I've I've been asked that a number of times over the last decade, what my advice is to entrepreneurs, uh, and it's changed and morphed over the years, but I've sort of in in recent times settled on, my best piece of advice to you is just, to, if you're an entrepreneur looking to raise with Crowdcube, is just to listen to to my team. Yeah, they are experts at Crowdcube. We have funded more businesses, raised more capital, and have more investors than any other platform anywhere in the world. They know how to do it. They know what works and they're on hand to mentor support and coach you through that process so yeah we have um a very well refined playbook of how to you know raise you know to, to maximize your your fundraising potential and and uh, you know often you know sometimes entrepreneurs can can feel or think that they know best and you know my experience over the years is the ones that listen um and the ones that follow the advice that are the ones that tend to do better and certainly that within with terms of warming up your community positioning it in the right way um yeah i think we've made great strides as well in terms of changing businesses perceptions changing the, the perception of the founder around to the value of raising money beyond just the capital and the importance of engaging your customers engaging your shareholders updating them with progress because actually that can be a powerful driver for growth for revenue for your business if you do it right um, and you treat your share your new shareholders in the right way because yeah if you keep them up to date with the progress they'll be more sympathetic when things aren't going right which are, that, yeah that's happened to a lot of businesses in the last 12 months or so and there'll be more Likely to follow and support you in follow-on rounds of investment, they'll be more likely to to, to talk about you and to use your product um, and share that product with their with their friends and family. So, so sort of opening the the business's idea to the potential of how they position their crowd and really rethinking that from from their perspective has has been a real breakthrough, I, I think. So we're seeing businesses approach it with a difference, with a different attitude, with a different ambition, with a different vigor where they're actually saying, actually, no, we, we want to maximize the number of customers and people in our community and our network that we can convert into investors because, you know, it's good for, it's good for the brand. It's good for, it's good for our, our you know, for the, for the, for the company. And it's good for ultimately for, um, for, for revenue. And, and it, and it makes their their customers more likely to to believe in them. There's a great there's some great stats from a company called um, Chip here in the UK that looked at their customers before and after when they became shareholders, and they found that they were um, 400 times more likely to um, tell their f- uh, friends and family about Chip, and they were 500 percent. Um, more loyal, and to, be, to 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 um to Simon the CEO's credit, he was somewhat skeptical of that, and was like, "Well, maybe there's a self-fulfilling prophecy, and these people were already our avid fans, and they looked at it before and after, and there's a something happens in the, these people's minds where they change." Yeah, their perceptions and how they interact with the brand, um, and they become more loyal and they become more bigger advocates, um, which become can be hugely powerful for for a for a business. Yeah, whether that's a startup, later stage, B 2 B or B to C, I think that that degree of advocacy is 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 crucial, right?
1: Super interesting. I'd love to see more research on that, actually. And, uh, that's super interesting. It's also great advice from you, uh, for sure. Uh, let, let's maybe go back to, to October 2020, when not only the new EU rules for crowdfunding platforms were uh, approved by the Parliament, by the European Parliament, but also you made an announcement. <laughs> that you were going, that you were planning to march with Cedars, which is of course one one of the other uh, big uh, European equity crowdfunding platforms. What's the status of that? What's the reasoning behind
2: it, and what's what does the future look like? It, yeah, in an odd coincidence, I believe it was the same day that the the European. I think it was two movement. days before. I just looked. At two it, days yeah. before was it? Okay. Okay. Not. That's not quite such a good story. But um, yeah, so we we announced our, our our intentions to merge with Cedars back in uh, back in October. It's all about growth, really. It's about us consolidating our resources, our energy, our platforms. So that we can go out and you know expand into Europe, provide our services to European on, entrepreneurs like like never before. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities between CrowdCube and Cedars. We've got similar sorts of ambitions to continue to grow here in the UK because there's there's still opportunity there. But but to but to take our the impact that we have and the benefits that we have to to more european and and you know even further afield um entrepreneurs so it's really about uh, um you know to help fuel that growth um and we're chomping at the bit to get started as well but it's currently with the competitions and markets authority here in the uk that are, that are um that are looking into it we anticipate that they are going to give us the green light um, later this year, probably in the late late spring in in, in May time, um, and then we can really get to work and we can really start to think about how we can merge the two businesses, how we can combine the best of both businesses, um, and, and really get a, a, a yeah all of that experience, knowledge, and know how from both of the teams really really working and pushing in 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 the same direction because you know, I really genuinely believe that that's going to have a positive impact for businesses and for companies looking to 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 raise um, and for investors as well and the broader entrepreneurial community will 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 benefit from it from it as well so so really exciting times ahead and and like i say we're we're all chomping at the bit for the green light so that we can get cracking
1: yeah well either way i think if the deal gets approved or not i think it's going to be an interesting year and very near future for crowdcube in any case uh thank you so much for laying it all out for us uh 35 minutes i think that's one of the longest interviews i've ever done for the podcast but not a minute wasted so was super interesting uh luke thank you so much for your time and best of luck with crowdcube thank you very much robin it's been a pleasure
0: And this is a wrap for today. Thank you so much for listening. Before we part ways for another week, I do have a question for you. Do you like the show? If you do, do us a favor and tell someone you know about this podcast. This is how we can keep growing and getting better at bringing you all the most interesting and important voices from the European tech ecosystem. Thank you so much. Now, if you need more tech EU goodness in your life, follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU and/or follow myself at a Degular. Audio engineering for today's podcast is done by Sound Pulse, that is sound-pulse.com. Do check them out. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions and opinions at podcast at tech.eu. Also, as you know, there is always our voicemail inbox at tech.eu slash voicemail. Head over there, speak your mind and get featured on one of our next episodes. Tech.eu slash voicemail. I am always very happy to hear your voices. So this was Tech EU podcast. I am Andre Degler, and I will talk to you again next week. For now, take care and enjoy the weekend. Bye bye.